Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host Manuel Feit and once again joined by Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, very, very well indeed. Um, another fantastic weekend of Bundesliga football. Uh, dramatic, nonsensical, but, you know, entertaining. So that's what we want. Uh, and so we'll lead up to an even better weekend of football. So I can't wait to get stuck into it. Yeah, I think I think we're set up pretty well for the Klassiker next week. And um That's pretty exciting, I think, because I think a lot of people thought that Bayern at this point would be a few points away from from Borussia Dortmund, and it's only one point. Um, the two are the very, very, very top of the table. No one comes even close to them at the moment, it appears. And um, I think when you look at Borussia Dortmund season in particular, that's a little bit surprising. And we'll have to talk about that because I think it's going to make things very interesting a week from now. But before we talk about what's going on with the Classica and um, we have a few other things to clear up first. And first first things first, the capital in Berlin, Freddy Bobic, axing Paul Dadai. Um, this has been the longest coaching firing in the Bundesliga history, hasn't been, Stefan, because I feel like Paul Dadai was a dead man walking the moment Bobic walked into this job. It was such an odd appointment in the first place. I mean, I know once upon a time, Dardai was a fantastic Hertha coach, did quite a lot for them in the Bundesliga at one point. They looked like a really good team. He built a really good team. Um, but, you know, he kind of just drifted off into the background, uh, went off to coach the youth teams for a while. And when obviously the last head coach moved on, um, so it was almost like he was standing in the background or something, or he was like, he must have walked into the boardroom to pick up his coffee or something when they were deciding who should replace him. Like, oh, forgot that Powell's here. Why don't we just ask him? You know, something like that. Um, and it certainly has felt that, that way because absolutely nothing has happened at Hertha. I mean, I know they were maybe a little unfortunate to only get a draw against Augsburg at the weekend, but that's exactly the kind of game they should be picking up three points and just it's these kind of games against kind of lower to mid or, or mid to lower teams in the Bundesliga that just came it's just such an effort to get anything out of this team um, and you know what the whole club just seems like it's in such a state of kind of paralysis at the moment um, I know I, after the news came out I had a quick look through obviously the previous managers and since kind of obviously you know Uh, Lars Vinhorst kind of came in, if you want to kind of call it his era uh, at the club. Um, the average managerial reign or head coach reign, if you want to call it, has been 187 days. I think it works out in maybe like 23, 22 mm. games each. And it's, it, it, it's they're just because, I mean, they are, you know, it's a, it's a laughing stock. I mean, if you want, Hertha, I mean, I think we've talked about this before, about the, you know, comparisons to Neon, who come across as a very grounded, very kind of fan-orientated, very kind of walk-before-you-can-run operation there. 
Uh, and at Hertha, they just seem to be like kind of chasing their own tail, spending what, 300 million pounds, I think, or euros yeah. rather. And they've got nowhere. They've got absolutely nowhere. And they just keep rattling through these managers or head coaches. And now they've got this new one in for the rest of the season. What is he going to do? We were talking about this. We were talking about before the show. I mean, maybe you could add, go on to mention what you think. But, you know, like, oh, should we talk about him? Like, what, what can we say about him? He's a complete nobody. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm not trying to say, you know, he, you know I'm not trying to say he shouldn't have a job or anything. But you look at that CV um, that Korkut's obviously got, and it's, and it's well, what what makes what has um, made them think okay let's give him that job I mean I know it's only an interim job and maybe it's just to kind of try and you know just fill a gap for now but if Bobic is looking to if he decided he was going to sack Dardai why didn't they have a plan in place to bring in another manager if you want to look at maybe like Wolfsburg you know who brought in Cofield after Van Bommel left you could say okay it seemed as though They'd made this decision maybe two or three weeks before they'd sacked Van Bommel. You can see there's obviously some join-up thinking there between the club, you know, the sports director, the board, whatever else you want to call it. They're like, we have a contingency in place. Hertha Berlin, by making this appointment again, and they've been doing this for two or three years now, don't look like they have any plan in place. And it's exactly why they're in the problem they're in now. Yeah, and and you you so bang on. You're actually taking some words out of my mouth with um with the Kofeld situation, right? Um, just to go through the names of lists of coaches that have been in charge since uh, Vintos took over. Of course, Dadai was still in charge when Vintos took over. Uh, he was then replaced with uh, Ante Kovic, who was an appointment made internally as well, right? And of course, this goes back to the story that Ante Kovic and Paul Dadai originally were in the running together. Then Paul Dadai got the job, and Kovic remained in the in the youth setup. Then uh, Dadai basically stepped down from the head coaching role, went back into the youth setup, and got replaced by Ante Kovic. Ante Kovic, of course, got fired, replaced by Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, Alexander Nuri came in when Klinsmann um, stepped down briefly. Uh, then there was Bruno Labbadia, and then Dadai came back, and then of course Dadai uh, rescued the team from relegation and uh, famously is uh, sitting there with a cigar and drinking red wine in the ZDF Sport Studio, right? Uh, we talked about that at the end of last season. And um, I think at that point, Bobic and Hertha, Bobic, of course, taking over last summer. Um, I think at that point, Bobic was already looking to find a new head coach. And this is, I think, where where I want to echo a lot of the things that you said, because at that point, people like uh, Kofeld were available, right? Uh, Tedesco mm. was still available. Um, Terzic was available. Um you know, there, there was good coaches available in the summer that are maybe not available right now. So they go for Typhoon Korkut and shout out to Bryce Dunn or the previous host of this show who absolutely struggled with this pronunciation. So a lot of people on this podcast probably know or hear heard about Typhoon Korkut, probably just not with the right pronunciation. So uh, he's a guy who worked at Bayer Leverkusen, Hannover 96. Um, but not really successful and not really a strategic choice. So I, I wonder if Typhoon Korkut is essentially just being given the reins at Hertha. Here's the, here's the job until the end of the season so we can find a proper head coach. And, you know, that kind of stuff makes you always wonder, um, Stefan, because as you said, like, yeah, Paul Dadai, it wasn't successful. Yeah, Paul Dadai was... Um, 
on a short leash already because of the things that he said at the beginning of the season, right? Where he said like, oh, I'm just a little pal and they're probably looking for a big coach anyways. But on the other hand, if you hang on to Paul Dardai for this long and then you fire him and your solution is Typhoon Korkut, mm. with all the names that are available out there, it's just, um, I, saw the, I saw a tweet today by one of the German journalists and it made me laugh. Um, it looked like Hertha Berlin was doing what every every single normal person does and goes to Transfermarkt, looks at the names of the coaches available and picks the first one, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what Hertha have done with this. And, um, you know, um, people give clubs too much credit sometimes thinking that they're special and that they run so differently than mm. how you and I would run football manager. And unfortunately, I don't think that's always true. I think sometimes clubs just make decisions based on what is readily available for them. And Korkut, <laughs> like Dadai walking past the coffee machine, maybe Freddy had, had Korkut saved up in the top of his list and his like cell phone uh, contacts and, you know, was, was available. Hey, Typhoon, how's it going? Hey, you want to just come over here and like coach a club until the end of the season? It kind of feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know... It really makes me wonder what Freddie Bobic is doing at the club right now. He's obviously got a great track record for what he did at his previous club. Uh, he comes to Hertha with a huge reputation. But we're sitting here in November, four games away from the Christmas break, and he's decided, okay, that's our that's our head coach for the rest of the season. Do some homework. You've got so... Okay, sure. You know, if he wants to say, right, Korku, he's going to be our manager... Until the until the winter break, just to steady the ship, you'd be like, okay, fair enough, no problem at all. But after that, they've got what two, three weeks off, and then they've got a tricky run. Don't get me wrong, but they've got they're playing um, Union in the, the Pokal at the at near the end of January. The club should be geared up towards that. Bobic should be sitting down and saying, right, let's make sure in by four, week four or five of this plan we're now putting together after we've sacked Dardai. We have a coach in place. This, why don't we get one in place before the winter break so he has two weeks off to work with the team? Where, where's all this planning? What, what was the point in hiring Bobic? What was the point in, you know, making such an effort to bring him to the club if he's going to take the decision to sack the head coach at this point in the season and he's not even going to use the actual time they will now have to bring someone in? Now, don't get me wrong. Maybe they will. Maybe I've misread the the press release. Um, and, you know, in three or four weeks uh, after, you know, Korkut probably fumbled around, like, who have they got? They've got Stuttgart, Bielefeld, Mainz and Dortmund before. They could quite easily lose all four of those games now, um, which would put them in real trouble, in my opinion. But say they pick up a couple of points from that and then they go into the winter break, then Hertha go on and bring in Lucien Favre or something. Okay, I'd be like, right, fair enough. Bobic has done what he's what it says on his job description, he's gone out, found a good good head coach, and they're now planning this new period. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> but that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems as if they have, as you've said, just put like almost like a raffle. They pulled a number out of their bag and said, oh, let's give it to him. Let's see what happens here. So if I was a Hertha Berlin fan, I would be absolutely furious at this. Yeah. I, I'd be frustrated too because you look at Korkut's track record and um, he was at Hannover 96 from 2014 to 2015, was in charge of 48 games. His average points uh, points per match was 1.17. Um, then he was at Kaiserslautern for 18 games. 
Um, his average points there was 1.06 uh, at Bayer Leverkusen. And this is probably the worst. Uh, in charge of 12 games, and he averaged one point per game with Bayer Leverkusen. And then he was at Stuttgart, where he averaged 1.64 points per game. Whew. That's not good. <laughs> that's that's just not good. Um, and, you know, it's... I get what you say with Bobic, and I have a lot of time for Bobic, and I speak to people who have worked with Bobic, and the things that he's done at Frankfurt, and maybe he sees something that we don't. Um, you know, maybe there is something there that we don't see. But at the same time, I mean, running a football club is not rocket science. And there's, there's an interesting statistic out there that claims that uh, Bundesliga teams don't do better when they appoint a new head coach, right? This whole head coach bounce, as they call it, is is a little bit of a myth. But I think it was um, Shimansky and um, Shimansky in his book Soconomics, where he said the problem is not that clubs um, fire a head coach and hire a new head coach, and the results don't improve. The problem is actually that clubs don't hire good new head coaches. It's a, it's the same coach over and over again. There's a recycling of of leadership personnel going on in a lot of this in the sport. You know the the matter of fact is that it's very rare that you are Chelsea, you fire a head coach who doesn't know what he's doing, and you bring in Thomas Tuchel, and all of a sudden the results improve. That's not because there's a new head coach. It's because you hired a head coach who actually knows what he's doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can. We talked about Rangnick a few weeks ago, and now he's at Manchester United. Like 100, percent the results are going to improve there because all of a sudden you have someone charged who knows what he's doing, rather than someone who doesn't. And then, of course, if you make that sort of appointment, you are going to get better. Right. It's not mm-hmm. because you brought in new head coach; it's because you brought in a better head coach. And this is where I'm struggling with this because. I don't see where the improvement is going to be. If you're just looking into getting some new outside input, that's fine, but it can't be just any outside input. And I think this is where I'm wondering what Freddie Bobic is doing because he strikes me as a sporting director who, who, who does know this kind of stuff. You know, when you talk to him, there's a clear vision there and there's, there's an understanding and a belief of what he wants to do. And in Frankfurt, it worked, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tricky one. I, maybe maybe we'll sit here in four weeks over the winter break and we'll say, hmm, okay, this worked out quite well. Freddie Bovich, if you're listening, we remain unconvinced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Freddie. Um, I'm not sure this is this is gonna work out, um, but we'll see. I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes sometimes it does work. Uh, Niko Kovac was an example of a head coach who didn't work out anywhere, and then Freddie Bobic put him into Frankfurt, and boom, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so you know, let's wait and see. Um, judgment is still out there. Stefan, uh, we have to move on to another head coach, and first of all, the. Um, Leipzig Leverkusen game and oh la la Leverkusen looked good didn't they um I want to really briefly talk about Musa Diaby because he's a player that I have been very critical of for many months um especially on this show uh, even before you showed joined the show Chris Williams and Bryce Dunn know what I'm talking about and um 
oh my God, has he been good this year? <laughs> Musa Diaby has been so very excellent. I feel like someone turned a switch in his head and taught, like finally taught him what to do in the final third with the ball. That goal that he scored uh, against Leipzig was incredible. It was fantastic. And that was the sort of thing that where he would like probably have stumbled and broken an ankle in the past. And now those things are clicking and... It, I looked at his stats and I felt like, oh, this guy's been for around forever, but he's only 22, Stefan. Um, I, he, I think maybe he has finally made that that step in his development, eh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I would have totally agreed with you uh, in terms of your kind of criticism of him. On his day, he can be incredible, absolutely incredible, but he did lack consistency. And it's really interesting the way he kind of has stepped up this season. Um, I think there's maybe two reasons behind it. I think one... Um, is that he's got Florian Wurz beside him. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the I think it was for the offside goal that he scored in the early in the game. The through ball from Wurz, I'm not mistaken, that chip ball. There's only maybe like a handful of players in the Bundesliga that can do that on a whim. You know, mm-hmm. I, this, I will never tire of going on about how good this kid is. I know you think Mustial is better. I I'm gonna I'm gonna pin my <laughs> pin my tail to this horse and just ride it all the way to success. Honestly, because I think I think. Every I think right now, Wirtz is winning out the battle between the if, two. Yeah, every <laughs> week. I mean, I watched, yeah. obviously, um, you know, because I'm here in Scotland, so um, there was a lot of coverage of Leverkusen playing Celtic in midweek as well, which was a game in which they actually kind of fumbled around for a long time. They probably should have won that quite convincingly, to be honest. But again, Wirtz just strolled, and you just watch him in these games, and he comes across as... You know, a leader, and he comes across as such an experienced player. I know we're talking about Diaby here. I am, I am getting to a point here. I think having someone like that alongside Diaby, it must take off so much of the pressure because Verts is already the guy who's just happy to just soak up all that pressure. And you can tell in that team, he's the one who's like, right, give me the ball. I'm going to win this game for us. And when you have something like that in the middle of the pitch, it means Diaby can just play with so much freedom. Now, I think the other reason as well is the fact that... Um, Leon Bailey's gone. Suddenly, yeah. you know, this this other star and this other perhaps inconsistent star on the wing, um, you know, for so, so long, Bailey was kind of seen as the kind of star of this Leverkusen team, even though bigger and better players have actually come and gone since he joined the club. Every season, it was, when is he going to move to the Premier League? Do Manchester United want him? Blah, 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 blah. He's now moved on, and it's and it feels almost as if Diaby has kind of taken that spot from mm-hmm. um I actually kind of looked at the numbers before uh, recording today, and if I'm not mistaken, I'm maybe have to look them up very quickly. But I think I'm right in saying that between the two of them, and that is uh, Verts and Diaby, yeah, they've, conv- they've they've contributed nine. They've either scored or created nineteen of Leverkusen's twenty-eight league goals this season. That's that's sixty-eight percent of Leverkusen's goals in the league from a sixth from an eighteen-year-old and a twenty-two-year-old. Um, you know, I actually had someone comment who I think he actually does cover the Bundesliga. So he meant it in good jest. But he's like, you know, it's not, it's maybe not great that they rely so much on a young player who, or young players who could quite easily get sold. And I, the only thing I could respond with was, that's just Leverkusen. That's how they, that's how they roll. They produce fantastic young players. Uh, they keep them for about 18 months and then they sell them to the Premier League for about 80 million euros. And that's just what's going to happen here. But, um, 
you know, and but they have got two great players on their hands here. And I was, I'm actually really impressed with Leverkusen because after that defeat to Bayern, I really did fear the worst for them. Uh, I thought we're going to have a repeat of what happened last season because they then drew with Betis, they drew with, drew with Cologne in the derby, they get knocked out of the Pokal, Wolfsburg beat them, and you're like, oh god, here we go, they're going to really plummet. But they've managed to turn it around. They've, they had two really good battling performances in the Europa League against Betis and Celtic. Uh, and they've now gone three games unbeaten in the Bundesliga with this big match against Leipzig. And they looked much better against Leipzig. I mean, you probably you, you probably sat there and watched the game, so maybe I'll let you talk about this. But to me, it seemed as if it was a diff- it was like men against boys. Oh, yeah, it was. And um, look, well, we're going to talk about Leipzig in just a second because... There, there's a lot of stuff going on there and um, it's a proper mess at this moment yeah but Leverkusen were so excellent and I was really really worried about them after that Bayern defeat and um, they had a wobble afterwards too in fairness but have since been excellent in the Europa League have since been excellent in the Bundesliga um, if there is a team that has benefited from Bayern and Dortmund dropping some points because they haven't neither have dropped a lot um, it's Leverkusen who have you know are now in third, just uh, six points behind Dortmund, seven points behind Bayern, and uh, seven points sounds like a lot, but the two of them are playing each other, and I'm pretty sure, I'm, you know, the way that both of them have played, a draw isn't unlikely on on the in the Klassiker, right? And then all of a sudden that that point total can can go really down even further, and Leverkusen are back in that mix, which is interesting, I find, because I didn't think anyone would come back into that mix, and. Yeah, they've been good. They've been really good lately. And they're very excellent against Leipzig. I mean, Leipzig, to maybe transition a little bit to that, let them. Um, they, I know there's stuff going on with COVID protocols and so on with RB Leipzig. And um, the empty stadium doesn't help. Um, the fact that we are now back in a situation where we have empty stadiums in Germany is, is so very sad and so unnecessary in so many levels. But I I already said everything I want to say about that last year, last week, right? Mm. But the, the fact now that, you know, that there is players out with Corona, um, important players for, for Leipzig, and head coach Jesse Marsh wasn't there either. Um, mm-hmm. He was sitting on the couch. That that kind of stuff doesn't help, but they don't help themselves either. The, the yeah. way that they played and approached this game, um, so was like missing a penalty. The, the fact that, their tactical system that they went with to start the game and then Leverkusen so properly and clinical took apart. Um, it took 43 minutes and then they took Brian Brobby off, Stefan, which I thought, what a disaster. Here's a 19-year-old kid mm-hmm. that already had doubts about his move to Leipzig after Nagelsmann left to Bayern. Mm-hmm. And then they're taking him off in the 44th minute. They haven't given this kid any proper playing time this year, Right. And the sayer essentially like burned this kid just before halftime because you weren't happy with how the game was going. And it wasn't just him, you know, it's the, the entire team setup didn't work. And all credit to Leverkusen, they were great, but Leipzig let them. And I find that I find that kind of dangerous what's going on there right now. I, I spoke to a source right after the game who's very well connected um, with Red Bull and the hierarchy at Red Bull, not just at Leipzig, but in general. And I just got a message back saying he has to, Jesse Marsh has to win every game until the winter break or he's gone. Mm -hmm. And that's, I don't know how they're going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
But yeah, like like Leverkusen were fantastic. I, I think that's that's the bottom line. Diaby, Wirtz, they were all great. Yeah, I mean, did they benefit from from Leipzig's disaster class for sure? But on the other hand, you also have to make the most of an opportunity like that. But we have to talk about Marsh now, like this this text, and then we of course we went through um, the schedule. We assume the city game is not part of that, although they have to get a point or win there in order to qualify for the Europa League. So it is an important game for them. Um, but in the Bundesliga, they have Union Berlin, Gladbach, Augsburg, Bielefeld. Now, if you're Leipzig, with the amount of money you have spent and invested, mm-hmm. and then you only average 1.38 points per game after 13 matches, and to quote Ralf Rangnick, you can see a trend after 10 games usually, right? Whether things go well or not. Um so you do wonder what's going on there, right? And I mean, we've we've gone back and forth on Jesse Marsh, obviously, in this podcast this season because poor start then kind of seemed as though they were kind of pulling something together. You know, we talked about how he was kind of bringing the older players back in, Post and Forsberg, they're beginning to perform again. But something's not clicking clearly something isn't clicking and that can always happen when a man when a club does lose a manager like Julian Nagelsmann I mean we're talking about maybe like one of the top four or five head coaches in all of world football that's how they've that's that's how they've had to lose um so there was always going to be a period when the next guy coming in was really struggling to kind of not only hit the ground running but also make these players tick like they did on the Nagelsmann, because you'll have a lot of big stars in that team who'll be used to the very highest pinnacle of coaching, uh, of you know strategy in terms of where they want them on the pitch, um, the training, the way that they engage these players. As Nagelsmann has said so many times, half of coaching nowadays is about the relationship you have with your players. And Nagelsmann had these boys running through brick walls for him before he left. Um, Jesse Marsh has come in. He's probably doing things a little differently, but you can tell that he's struggling with his tactics. You're, you can tell he's struggling to find his his favorite starting eleven, and I think that's probably just kind of added to this overall general transition period that uh, that Leipzig are really struggling with. The only thing I'd probably say for Jesse Marsh right now, in terms of um, you know why they shouldn't sack him, obviously, uh, is that I'm not entirely sure who you would bring in to get the best out of the squad. Uh, you know, you look at kind of the names of the length, the kind of usual names in the Bundesliga. You know, I don't even, I mean, I guess I can mention someone like Lucien Favre again, for example, um, because it, let's be honest, Leipzig are probably going to be limited to previous Bundesliga managers, unless they obviously go through their network and find someone else. But they're not exactly going to be able to go and get like a Ten Hag, for example. Um, so do they then just think, well, do you know what? We've got the winter break coming up. Maybe we give Marsh to that point to really try and narrow down who he wants, what he wants from this team. Because there's probably a number of there's probably a number of stars in that team. Obviously, you mentioned Broby, but there's probably a lot of senior players in that team who think, right, well, this this team I've been part of for the last three or four seasons is now coming to the end of its cycle. Um, Leipzig, in typical fashion, are bringing in all these younger players underneath me, guys like Schubeslai, guys like Danny Olmo. Although, if you believe the rumors, Olmo probably apparently wants to leave as well. So. There's probably a lot of senior players who want to move on. There's a lot of younger players who joined because they thought they'd be coaching Nagelsmann. And then everyone in between is probably trying, is probably struggling or struggling to really show the same incentive to work under Jesse Marsh the same way they did under Nagelsmann. So 
unless unless Leipzig have a really big manager lined up who can step in and really kind of raise the bar to Nagelsmann level and get these players running through brick walls again, I'm not entirely sure if sacking Marsh makes a huge amount of sense. Do you, do you know what I mean? I, I, I mean, having, having said that, there, there's no way, there's, they're absolutely not doing as well as they should do. I mean, if you look at if you look at the amount of money Leipzig have spent, even if you want to take away, you know, like their total spending in terms of like the money they've made from, from transfers minus that from how much they spend, their total spend um, is the second in the Bundesliga over the last four or five years. They spent a humongous amount of money. But um, so they're nowhere near where they should be, and they've got the squad that really should be pushing for second at least. Mm. But I, I do just wonder. I mean, maybe my, my mind's just gone blank, but I, I don't know who you bring in who can then fix this because I do wonder if it's just a number of outside factors that are just working against Marsh right now. It's it's that's the tricky one, right? Like who is available, and we just talked about that with Hertha Berlin. Like who is available at the moment, and. Um, German clubs like to hire coaches who were German. And um, I don't think Lucien Favre is the one that you bring in. Peter Bosch is, is another one, um, maybe. Um, Roger Schmidt. Think you, Roger Schmidt, right, right. Knows the, the Salzburg way, has, has decent success with um, PSV Eindhoven at the moment. Um, there's another name that, of course, um, rings some bells. Uh, Niko Kovac, maybe. Um, do you, do you, sorry to cut. Well, Nico Kovac would be a great one. Just to kind of maybe pick up on this really quickly. Sorry, I've just mm-hmm. cut you off there. Um, Leipzig are obviously at a stage where, you know, they've got to a certain point in German football where they've got a number of young players who can get them to a certain point. And they've obviously got that same methodology with how they bring in their head coaches, right? Because they obviously develop yeah. them at their centres, at their coaching schools. They run them up the ladder. If you do well at Salzburg, you then move on to Leipzig, just like the players do. I do wonder if there's there's a there's a there's only so much success you can get from that model when you base it on head coaches because maybe Julian Nagelsmann was the exception to that rule. I know he wasn't technically a I don't think you'd really call him a Red Bull coach because he obviously did well at Hoffenheim and things, but I do wonder if having a young coach in charge of a young squad really works when you know, maybe Leipzig do need a Ten Hag or a Valverde or an Ancelotti or something like that. You know, maybe they need to to make that step up to really challenge Bayern. Maybe they need a, a proper old, experienced manager who can you really galvanise our young squad. You know, I was thinking of, and this name has been floating around a lot, and it would be interesting if a German club goes that direction. And I think if any German club would do it, it would be Leipzig. It's Paulo Fonseca. Yeah. You know, because like I know I get it. German clubs are so reluctant to hi- uh, hire foreigners because of the language, the culture, blah, blah, blah. I-, I think it's blah, blah, blah. I mean, the dressing room all speaks English anyways at this yeah. stage. You look at Leipzig, how many Germans? Like, yeah, there's a few Germans, but let's be honest here. The, the, the communication in the dressing room is likely English. Mm. So it doesn't really matter if you hire a foreigner. And, and Andre Silva is Portuguese, Paulo Fonseca. You know, like, here's a guy for proven track record, has worked his way up, um, obviously in huge demand around the world with all sorts of coaches, um, of all sorts of clubs. Newcastle were, was linked to him, right? Um, was it Atlanta United looked at the training facility there? There was lots of places that where they were saying, okay, this is a 
this is a potential move for Paulo Fonseca, but he'd be an interesting one, Stefan. Yeah, definitely, and that's that's kind of the, and, and that's maybe where they have to go. I mean, there's obviously there's, there's just this great assumption that because German football has been so good with his coaching recently that they have. I mean, I know Jesse Marsh isn't German, obviously, but mm. there's an assumption that that is the only way to go for Bundesliga sides, and it's and it's a it's an argument that we well, you guys have been in the podcast, I've made in previous podcasts or newspapers or whatever else in the past about how. There is this ambivalence or this reluctance to go for non-German head coaches in the Bundesliga. Uh, and as you say, times have changed. Don't speak German in the changing room. They don't speak German in, in, the, in the training grounds. They certainly don't speak German on the pitch. So it, 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 it does kind of baffle me. If you kind of want to look at the, the, the Premier League, the Premier League became the best league in the world because they got the best coaches to train the players more than anything else. And if RB Leipzig want to make that step up in Europe and be a, become a proper challenger... Maybe they have to step away from their youth academy approach to managers um, and bring in someone who can really take them up a level and who can challenge the league title, who can challenge the Champions League. But it'll be interesting to see what they do from, from here because having said all that, I do wonder if keeping Marsh is maybe still the best decision. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one to follow. Um, probably a topic that will will be with us for a while let's let's move on to the final thing here um stefan and that's of course the classica next week and um somewhat surprisingly we still have a classica coming because like at the end of the day we all probably thought that Bayern would be running away with it um they they've been so very excellent all season long and um on the start of the season in particular and dortmund have been so bad (laughs) so very bad at times where you thought okay well how are they going to even win games um and it, they got punished for it in the champions league where essentially the two results and against ajax amsterdam meant they, they were out right and uh, disaster against sporting and um every, a game where everything that went wrong could go wrong again and um it, i think it's in so many levels a bad signal for for dortmund but also the bundesliga that dortmund are out of the champions league at this stage that should not happen to a club of the size but somehow and i don't know how they're still only one point behind bayern munich and uh, a bayern munich side and dortmund beat wolfsburg 3-1 in a wolfsburg side that are difficult to play against um and they did it did so and thankfully with Haaland coming back right and Marlin has now scored in the last three games and um and Bayern Munich against Arminia Bielefeld just 1-0 in a game that they did not look great and you can see that Bayern Munich are very much impacted by all the COVID politics and that are going on in the background and then of course the AGM meeting uh with Qatar disaster class and um you know fans reacting very negatively to that sponsorship deal rightfully so in my opinion and putting a lot of heat on on the club and um the the journalists asking Manuel Neuer questions like should should he put pressure on the board to end uh the Qatar sponsorship deal and all that kind of stuff going on and it I feel like Bayern Munich are impacted by that um in the Bundesliga that game against Arminia Bielefeld just one nil hmm and then Dortmund, of course, also not convincing, but they're still getting all those points. So what sort of classic are we going to get next week? I, I mean, really curious because I don't know what to expect because if the, the two teams, neither one of them have been convincing. So what are we going to get? I think it's going to be absolute chaos. <laughs> I really think it's going to be absolute chaos. And I'll tell you why. As you correctly said, on the one side, you have a Bayern team who 
not only are they struggling on the pitch, um, I know they obviously won against Armenia, but and you know they really did batter Armenia. There's no denying that. Although Armenia had their chances, um, I think we're, we were both talking about their xG before we recorded. Uh, y Scout puts it at about two point zero five. I think maybe the Bundesliga have a little slightly higher. So you know maybe they should have scored two. It's not. It's not overwhelming. It's not comprehensive. And even after that, I know I, I was working, so I had one eye in this game, and it was a really kind of trudged affair. Obviously, there's no fans in the stadium, so it kind of sucked at the atmosphere. It looked like a really laborious effort from Bayern. Um, they didn't look their best, and they haven't for some time now. Even though they beat Dynamo Kiev in the week during the week in the Champions League, I thought they were very sloppy in that match. Uh, I thought they were actually quite lucky. Manuel Neuer pulled off some great saves, and it could have been a real change turnaround if... Um, you know, if it wasn't for a fantastic goal from Lewandowski for a start as well, and then Kingsley Coman scored an outstanding goal as well. So, and then obviously before that, they drew with uh, or lost Augsburg. So, Bayern on the pitch don't look quite right. And then, as you've correctly said, they've got all this noise off it. The, the Yosha Kimmich and uh, the vaccine stuff is a huge story in Germany. The lack of fans in the stadiums is a huge story in Germany. And the AGM thing with the Qatar Airways was a huge story. When you have um, Uli Honus getting booed to the extent that he can't, he walked up to the podium and gets booed and decides to just walk off the stage. And then afterwards, he's saying to Kicker or Sport Build, you know, I've never been anywhere like this at Bayern Munich. I've never had to deal with anything like this at Bayern Munich. It's 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 quite something, you know. It's almost like a club in chaos. It's almost like the old SC Hollywood back in the day, where except instead of, you know, internal bickering with the club, it's as if all these outside factors uh, are playing a part. So, Bayern Munich don't seem like they're in a comfortable position right now. Then on the other hand, you have Dortmund, who somehow, um, despite playing so poorly every week, they just keep seeming to grind out results. In the Bundesliga, now the Champions League is something else entirely. And, you know, if they can... I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to really put too much stock in them getting knocked out of the Champions League at this stage just because I do wonder if they really are to mount a Bundesliga title challenge. They might be best doing so without the distraction of the Champions League. I thought honest. that too this week. You know, because yeah. it, it made me think, well, let's be perfectly honest here. Dortmund aren't really going to get anywhere. The prob- If they had gone through, okay, sure, they get maybe, what, PSG in the next round or something. It's just it's, it's just another distraction um, for, what, an extra, what, 8 million euros maybe, something like that. And I think they're going to win the Europa League too pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. There was some people said, like, oh, they're a Europa League favourite. I'm like, no. why I mean they won't care like if you buy a Leverkusen yeah you're gonna try to win that because like that's probably your best way of winning a title other than the Pokal but if you drop one it's like why Mm. like why if you want to win the Bundesliga why would you bother dealing with the Europa League yeah and you know there's no disrespect to the Europa League but I I think if Mm. you goal is to dethrone Bayern Munich from the Bundesliga, like from being winning the 10th Bundesliga title in a row. The Europa League is not going to something that you're going to be bothered about. No, of course not. And, if, and, and you know, I, obviously I think Dortmund are kind of victim of circumstance here. Yeah. I think if Marco Rosa was to be perfectly honest with with himself when he was to admit this in public, he would probably say he had no expectations that we would now be, what, 14 games into the season and Dortmund would only be one point off Bayern Munich. 
going into a Classica, which with Erling Haaland suddenly back fit, and he was. And this this is this is the kind of what I was going to talk about there about the Wolfsburg game. Wolfsburg absolutely battered Dortmund in this game, but in a typical kind of weird way that only football works. Dortmund somehow managed to come out of that game, and I do feel as if almost like they were just budding with confidence afterwards. I watched an interview um, with Danielle Malin, and mm. one of the things because I was doing some stuff for Indian TV, and I was on the, I was on the TV, and the, the post match interview came through with him, and the thing he talked about was character, you know, and and obviously players just spout cliches after games. But <laughs> I thought it was really interesting because I thought that's actually the one thing this Dortmund team does seem to have. Um, it's clumsy. They can't defend, uh, and you know they they do kind of, in, 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 but they can attack in spades. But they do have character. Jude Bellingham has character. Uh, Emery wow. Chan has character. Matsumo has character. Cobell has character. Um, Marco Royce, Erling Haaland, even even Julian Brandt, this barn mouse of a player. These guys all have character, and and I thought that Wolfsburg result, even though the performance again wasn't great. But just the way that Haaland came on, the way he just steamrolled over Wolfsburg, it made me think, you know, Dortmund might be going into this Bayern game actually quite full of confidence. I know they've just been knocked out of the Champions League, but that result against Wolfsburg and the way they managed to really smash and grab a Wolfsburg side that just looks stunned after they came back, um, it really made me think this Dortmund team, when they have Haaland on the pitch, when he's fit, and he did look fit, which really surprised me. Um, they looked like... On their day, they really can cause a huge amount of problems. And yeah, of course, they can't defend. And of mm. course, Bayern are going to walk through that defence six or seven times next Saturday. But they also have this character where they don't give up. And that could be a real problem for Bayern. The fact that Marlon is found, finally, they found his footing. Yeah. And that is something that we have to point out. There's three goals in three games now, right? And that's pretty big. Um, because he was a guy that we've all written off and he scores a very important game, goal against um, against Wolfsburg. He scored a goal that almost got Dortmund back into the Champions League against Sporting. He's the only guy in that game that offered some resistance. Um, and I think that's big. I think people underestimate that. And he, of course, he scored against Stuttgart as well. And all of a sudden, there's another striker that scores goals for you. And I think that's a pretty big factor because, it, you know, in, in other classicas, it would have just been Haaland. Mm. But now all of a sudden you have another striker who's trending in the right direction, massively trending in the right direction. And he's doing so because he's had to put in a lot of work to get mm. used to this competition. And I think you cannot underestimate that. And speaking of character, the, the thing that has been really missing for Bayern over the last few weeks, whether it was against Dynamo Kiev, whether it was against Arminia Bielefeld, is that directness, absolute directness through the center of the park. You know, they, it's very seldom that they, they, they combine themselves through the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's because there's no Joshua Kimmich. Yeah, exactly. And that's a massive loss for them in a Klassiker. Massive. Like Joshua Kimmich is this team. He's such an important player for them. And he's not going to be back because he's not vaccinated. And there's pretty strict guidelines on what what you can and what you cannot do in Germany if you're not vaccinated if you and if you have COVID. And I hope he's fine. I hope he recovers well. Um, but it means he has to sit out those 14 days. He can't test himself out of this. And he's going to miss this game. Yeah. And that's a huge miss for Bayern. And you saw it in the Bielefeld game with all the dominance that they had and all the stuff that they were doing. 
really the the result only came on like the result really only or the 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 they got better once Musiala was on because he's also a more of a center player. But Musiala's young; he's a very young player. You can't expect him to rescue this Bayern team. Um, so that's I think that's going to be an interesting one. But of course, we've seen you know this is my caveat, Stefan. I've covered the Classica on location from TV for many, many years now. You know, I've been to several of the games and I've seen Bayern, especially in the Allianz Arena. I've done it, I think, three or four times now in the Allianz Arena. Mm. And I think three of those games ended 5-0 for Bayern or 4-0 or 4-1 or something crazy like that, right? Mm -hmm. So never, ever, ever underestimate Dortmund's ability to absolutely screw up a Klassiker. (laughs) This is the thing, though. I know I'm getting hopeful here, and maybe I am getting far too hopeful. This Dortmund side, this Dortmund side, are so un-Dortmund. They're, they're nothing like the Dortmund that we're used to. Um, you know, the, rather than being this kind of like fun, exciting team um, that trip up on banana skins every week, they're they're disappointing. They're aggravating. Okay, maybe Dortmund are usually aggravating. But unlike other teams in the past, under unlike under Lucien Favre, you know, uh, under Thomas Tuchel, whatever, even under Klopp for the last two or three seasons, unlike those teams, this one, this team just keep getting results, and it's like, yeah. and, and that's why I keep going back to this character thing. I think there's something different in this team. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't know if we can apply all. I think a lot of it can come down to Erling Haaland, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, because he is, he's just this golden ticket. He's, he's obviously, I mean. The only word you can use to describe him is a phenomenon. He's obviously he's a physical phenomenon. Mentally, he's 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 like Cristiano Ronaldo, isn't he? He's just he's just razor sharp, completely committed. Um, you know, he's like Ivan Drago in Rocky Four or something. The guy just doesn't quit, even when he's on the sidelines. Like, you know, the interesting the thing I think that Dortmund fans must take so much confidence from without Haaland is that every every week when he's been out injured camera crews cut him on the stand and you can see that he's living every moment with his teammates mm. and I actually thought when I was previewing the show on Saturday I actually said because you know it was questions will Haaland play is this just some ploy to get him on the pitch is he even fit I said you know what it doesn't even matter if he plays just having him on the bench must be so galvanising for that team and and you know and of, and of course maybe I'm maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here but you you, put, you can see that with Jude Bellingham he's got that same drive Marco Royce looks like a guy who's got something to prove this season so you know it, it'll be really interesting the thing that I think the best thing for neutrals anyway is the fact that neither of these teams can defend this season Bayern, Bayern are full of holes in defence they won't have Joshua Kimmich which makes a huge difference for them defensively and you know Dortmund's defence is well documented and how useless they've been so at the very least I mean let me knock some wood here just to kind of you know uh, <laughs> so I don't jinx it but um, I think I think we're going to get a lot of goals in this game I hope so um, I think to maybe round this up Borussia Dortmund's biggest hope in the Klassiker is that in recent weeks they have played like Bayern Munich have usually played in the Bundesliga. Not great. Did what they needed to do and get the results, even if it wasn't pretty. And I think that's sort of what Borussia Dortmund have been doing this year. And maybe this result, result, results-based approach is finally going to work for them. You know, we'll see. Um, Stefan, if we're out of time, 
I, I'm immensely looking forward to the Classica. I hope we're going to have at least some attendance in the stadium for it, um, even if it's just 25, 40, 50 percent or whatever it is. Um, fingers crossed. And I hope it's going to be a, a very exciting game and one that properly advertises the Bundesliga. So fingers crossed. Um, yeah, that's it from us for this week. Until next week, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.